So hi, everyone. Welcome to Productize Podcasts, where innovators, product creators, and entrepreneurs come to discuss impactful ideas. We aim to inspire people to build great products and launch new projects. My name is Indre Marquis. I'm the founder of Productize, and I'll be your host today. I have a special guest, Becky Flinch, is the founder and CEO of Dragonboat, the world's first product portfolio management platform. She has appeared in various podcasts, including Melissa Sperry Product Thinking Podcast, The Product Podcast, and The Unlearned Podcast with Barry O'Reilly, former VP, Product Ops, and Program Manager at Feedzai, an AI fraud prevention fintech unicorn here from Portugal. She built and scaled the product organization from the ground up helping it triple its total workforce in one year. Through her many years of experience in the product space, Becky has grown into an expert in product portfolio management and helped product teams become more outcome-focused. And that's exactly where I'm going to start this conversation, Becky, because you started Product Journey as head of product uh, and program management at PayPal, back into 2004, where you built the product portfolio organization from scratch. And since then, you have built and scaled portfolio management at Shutterfly, Feedzai, BigCommerce, and ultimately founded Dragon Boat in 2018 to help product organizations become more outcome-focused. While looking at your resume, I noticed you have quite an unusual journey because you started in a medical field and almost became a doctor before you decided to shift your career and move to the US to study business and work for startups in Silicon Valley. So what led you to change uh, this career path and most significantly to enter the tech world back in the 90s? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Andrea. And um it's interesting, our path is never as how we, how we charted, no matter what kind of roadmap you had, <laughs> if you call it. Um, so I, I went into medical because I really want to help people um, and I wanted to be a surgeon. Um, but that career choice that wasn't available to me uh, was given choice more of a pediatrician because, you know, uh, as a woman, you can't really um, be a surgeon on large, laborious operations and things like that. So I decided not to stay in the in, in that role and, and I really want to do something else because I really um I was more passionate about being a surgeon than the other medical choices. So anyway, uh so then uh as I was you know finding different career paths in uh and in the offices and I realized hey I need to do some study, figure out how to really run business that came here for school. Uh, and just so happened, I was in San Francisco, and then the first dot com was happening. And then left and right in my classmates and friends, everyone's going into startups. They start their own company, and then they work at startups. So I got pulled in to the tech board to, you know, building uh, basically websites. If you call it the Shopify's of the day, so we're building websites for the companies all over the place. And I even started uh, my own company, working with uh, some of the the folks that I know back home in doing a B2B exchange and so on was just the the place, the right time, the right place, really booming with opportunities to getting the tech board, the internet and and everything else. So that's how I um, basically went from a finance and become an investor, really move into the tech and, and uh, unknowingly became a tech product manager as well as kind of coding some of the the websites and working with the uh, developers because they are all new to us. A very exciting time. Yeah, because you you came to Silicon, you came to I mean San Francisco back in the mid in the mid nineteen nineties was nineteen ninety five or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a ninety seven. And what drove your decision? Because you were in Shanghai in China, right? Right. Was it? Oh, I really want to have a, a tech career and I should go to the US or, you know, what was, was there any decision either from family or yourself to go to the US back then? Yeah, I think the main thing was because I left the medical and I 
think I should do something. Um, I wasn't sure what to do, so I need a change. And I decided to, okay, maybe I just go to business and for me to go to business um, because I wasn't working in the business environment, but I didn't have the training because you thought like, you know, all of us think you need a training <laughs> to do something. So I came here to apply for a business school. The idea is to go to the business school, get a proper business training and get into the business. Uh, and that's where I came. And uh, but then the internet happened. The opportunity pulled me into a different direction. Um, and I won't say business didn't help. Definitely helped tremendously. Uh, it's just not an investment banker that I thought I would have <laughs> came out of school to do uh, after the business school. Yeah, and it ended up creating um, the Dragon Boats um, eventually. Um, I've heard that that the the name Dragon Boat also has a little bit to do with your Chinese roots, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, actually, when I was in San Francisco, uh, there is a annual Dragon Boat competition uh, hmm. in outside of the state, uh, California State. Not in my school, but very close. And uh, we all go there. And that's actually the place that I saw it in person, not on TV. And it really impressed me a lot. And I participate in some of the practice as well. The main thing that really impressed me, left the impression on me, especially seeing in person and in it, is how hard it is for everyone to row in the same direction. It's so much easier when you get on a kayak. You almost require no learning. Um, but get on the Dragon Boat as a team working together. Everyone has a different job, but you all have to work together to get to where you need to be. And it's really, really difficult. But when you do it right, it is amazing. So, uh, and that's really where later on, who knows, 20 years, 30 years later, inspired the name of the company called a Dragon Boat, where everyone has a different job, uh, but you all have to roll in the same direction. All right. So we'll come back to Dragon Boat in a while. Um, um, so let's just go back almost 30 years in time, back to those uh, 1990s. And, you know, you started working in Silicon Valley and, and working in web, which was starting and some very crazy ideas were working. Others were not working so well, but eventually you ended up working for PayPal and you went through various job positions there, starting as a product manager and then getting promoted to product leads while seeing and contributing to the company's changes from the inside. So what are the key things that you learn from your, I suppose, eight years working at PayPal? Was, was it already part of eBay back then? Right. PayPal was uh, part of the eBay. You're right. It had was just been acquired. Part, yes, just being acquired by eBay. And uh, it was a, such an amazing time in the PayPal. Um, but it also, in many ways, you look at the PayPal 20 years ago and today, there are a lot of really very similar, just more mainstream. So PayPal were really, really ahead of a lot of things in terms of digital software, product management, cloud, remote uh, distributed teams. So we were doing all of that at PayPal. So when I was brought into PayPal, my title was a product program manager. So what does that even mean? Uh, it wasn't program manager, wasn't product manager. It, you really look at it was product operations. And was brought into PayPal to scale its international expansion. At the time, PayPal was only in four countries outside the US. Imagine four countries. And today, it's pretty much everywhere. And that was my first leg of the journey at PayPal was um, expanding PayPal internationally. Funny, you would think about a PayPal Portugal was a part of my project. Uh, PayPal Portugal Spain was a part of my project. Italy, uh, Hong Kong, all that countries, Australia. So uh, the first part of that is really launching PayPal to international countries. And a lot of these are not just like, hey, we translate and that will be it. It's actually very different product because you have a different banking partners, you have different regulation, you have different requirements, the user authentication is different, risk models are different, the backend processing is different. It's actually a very different product in different countries, especially those tier one countries that you actually have to build a lot of things in and out. So um, as a part of that, and, and today, the role of product operations is much, much well known. And uh, it was made better known by companies such as Uber, such as Airbnb, when they expanded internationally. 
right? They know that it's more than just the product itself. There's a lot of other pieces, legal, regulatory, country, operation, all the other stuff. So PayPal, um, when I was brought in there, was really international expansion. Basically, it's the starting practice of product operations. So my first leg of PayPal was really around in expand internationally as fast as possible, as efficient as possible. And then we run into a problem, which is uh, first a couple of countries were okay. And then you become more complex because it's not just launching it. There will be more product being built, improved and the features in V2. And then you have all the things you want to do. Every country is coming to say, I want this, I need this, we're losing competitor, we're losing money because we're fraud. So you have so much on the roadmap. And then on the other hand, there's a new country to be launched. And then there's a new, new product to be built. And then we're also working with the eBay. They're just uh, too much to handle. And then every product, is, and the, the paper was growing rapidly. It was like a double headcounts every year or something. And then we, we started to require more teams. Like, you know, you think about a, a scrum team or it has like a five people. But if you have all these bigger companies, you start to have a 20 team, 50 team, and all these teams need to work together. All of a sudden, you're working with 20 teams to launch a country versus four teams. And the amount of dependency and, and the partisanship and the fighting, <laughs> competing, make us basically unable to move. And then we don't really know who does what. And then we would have launched something. Actually, we're missing something. So that everything posts on hold and things like that. So, and, and then I, we were starting everywhere. And in, in the nature of my role in product and operation and program, we try to figure out how to solve that. So ultimately, I raised my hand to say, hey, we need a portfolio management. We cannot manage each of these features and projects independently. We need to do portfolio management. And, and then we started to build process and tools. And then half of this function called the portfolio manager at PayPal. That role didn't exist. And we create that role define what is the success, what's the outcome that role is going to drive, and even have a career path for that. We create this product portfolio manager role uh, inside of PayPal. What it does is to understanding the portfolio and the business and understanding all the possible things that we can do and then figure out how do we allocate resources, the prioritize across competing needs, competing goals, so that we can actually move forward uh, knowing that we have a orchestrated Path versus everyone just swing their uh, paddle, if you will, all over the place and nobody's going anywhere. And I guess that was uh, compounded by the fact that PayPal had obviously a very strong culture from the initial founders. And, you know, uh, Peter Thiel had been the CEO and before that, Elon Musk. So uh, the whole culture of the company, especially the the, the founding work, uh, employees, must 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 have been uh, difficult to orchestrate, right? Because lots of you know egos, lots of people, uh, and then with an acquisition in between from um, you know a major player in in, in the e commerce space, how is it to deal with all that cultural? legacy in, in, in a company that was growing so fast in those days and expanding to so many territories? Right. Uh, it's a very interesting question you mentioned and uh, observation. I would say something like this. At PayPal, product manager, well, every, actually everywhere, but at PayPal in particular, you can see everyone extremely bright and super driven. Like we are not just a type A, we're type AA. Uh, we are joking <laughs> on that. <laughs> right? and, and everyone is just so like passionate about the problem they are solving, the customer they're having. So what they're trying to... Uh, so the, there's only one way to solve that problem. And that's the setting goals, setting the outcomes, and then what we're going to measure. Because that become a very objective. So in some ways, the PayPal create this uh, a culture not only everyone is a very passionate competitive and a high achiever um, and also there are a lot of competing goals and competing needs and the, the only way that kind of led to it is how the management and I will say also portfolio principle to drive the business which is a defined goals and the metrics and the product teams now they're not focused on the projects they do more like the the metrics you own when you start to own metrics, and also something we call the tension metric or companion metric, then all of a sudden you can work with each other because you have a common goal. 
So let me explain, give you an example of what attention metric means. At PayPal, primarily the product is a checkout product, right? You go buy something, you click pay by PayPal, and then you pay by PayPal. So uh, there is a checkout team who uh, is responsible to make sure that the experience is as seamless as possible because, you know, that, you know, every time you have even one basis point of, of a, re, uh, a decrease in conversion, that's millions of dollars at risk and also affect every single merchant. You put PayPal there, if people drop off, that's not a good thing. <clears throat> so conversion is a big yardstick, North Star metric for the checkout team. However, there are other things you have to put inside of the checkout button. Conversion, things, for example, fraud. Because for, for PayPal also have to manage fraud, right? You make uh, maybe 10 basis a point, 20 basis a point of a profit, and the fraud is bigger than that. You lose 100% of the margin, then that, that, like 100% of the GMV, right? That's a very big hit. So <clears throat> managing fraud is uh, very essential for merchant, very essential for PayPal. Matrix our customer as well, then the the mechanism to detect and prevent fraud will create some friction. They will validate your right people, the shipping, all that stuff will slow it down, sometimes ask you for additional information. So now these are two teams. One team cares about checkout conversion. One team cares about fraud. The fraud team cares about the fraud. But then they are responsible for each other's metrics. So you cannot increase your conversion at the cost of increasing your fraud. Right. Or the vice versa. You reduce the the fraud rate, you cannot also reduce the the conversion rate. Mm -hmm. So having these kind of mechanism of setting goals and attention metrics where you actually balance out is it's still it is still a very competitive passion discussion all the time, but at least you have some framework to guide the process. And that's in a nutshell what your product portfolio management approach uh, thesis, right? Uh, having this tension metrics to serve as a guideline for the teams to manage their conflicting uh, metrics or um, uh, processes. Right. I think that's the one broader example of product portfolio management. I'll give you two, two more examples. <clears throat> um, another example of a product portfolio management is this. There's not a single product manager going to raise their hand to say, my product is not important. We don't need engineering resources. You can take all my resources to the other team's work. There's not a single product manager will ever say that, right? For them, it's their universe. It's the most important right. thing. Their baby. And that's why, that, that's why it's incredibly important for product leaders to, be, uh, to take a portfolio approach because you cannot say every product is important same time every year, all the time. That is called a peanut butter strategy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that means we have no strategy, right? It's just everyone get a little bit of something. You're not going to die. You're not going to thrive. So a, as a product leader, CPOs or VPs, you have to take a portfolio approach to say, where is the opportunity? Where should we strategy? Should our strategy go? Where should we allocate our resources? How these other teams going to support this team? Because that team will lead the biggest. So let's say at PayPal, every couple of years, every year we have a couple of big rocks. So we call it big rocks of strategic bets. And they're going to take more than 80% of company-wise uh, resources because these are the things that move the needle. Today, you hear people like, you know, Brian Chesky recently say something like in, in, uh, in, in uh, Airbnb, they just do, a, a, you know, five projects or something like that. It's a very similar concept, right? From, from, the, from the PayPal days that so you have a couple of big rocks, they're the ones moving the needle, the big bets. And the majority of resources are going to go into that, support that. So as, as a, that's the portfolio mindset in, the, in terms of understanding how you're going to uh, shifting your resource as you adjusting your strategy. Otherwise, it's a daydream. Right? You have a strategy, no resource. It's just a dream. It's not happening, right? And that company, forget about that. So that's the that's the second part of a portfolio management at scale is to think about where your strategy and the best going to be and how you're going to invest uh, some of the areas and de-invest some of the other areas so that you can drive the outcome you want to be and not peanut butter that. So that I'm talking about a leadership point of view. Now talking about an individual product manager. As an individual product manager, someone say, 
you know, I'm just a product manager and I have my scrum team. I don't really have a portfolio. Uh, and I don't need to take a portfolio management mindset. I said, wait, wake up. You have to be a strategic product manager unless you want to be like, you know, writing stories and tickets and working just with engineering team. That's not really a full product management. So if you're real product manager, strategic product manager, you have to figure out how do you balance and how do you leverage resources you have? Because there's something you can't control, which is what resources you're going to have, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, but you still have the outcome you need to drive. So really good product manager need to take what we call the strategic product management uh, skills, and the portfolio management is one of um, top three, right? So the other two we can talk about the divisions and and the business. So the portfolio management uh, is a skill that every single product manager, especially if you want to kind of grow your career, needs to be. So what does it mean for an individual product manager? If you're an individual product manager, you have to decide how much am I going to invest in voice customer, the things they ask me to do, and the things I want to build future for the product. Mm-hmm. If you look into that, in a relatively junior and less experienced product team, they will spend anywhere between 70 to 90% of their product investment on voice of a customer. Customer asks this, customer asks this, customer right. because they have a, such a strong pull, they put a lot of pressure on you. You react to them. And, and that's, the, that's one thing. If you look at the more senior product managers, you can see that thing fluctuate because they have to always balance on today and the tomorrow. They have to balance on new customer and the, and the existing customer. They have to balance on things that people will not churn. They do enough that people are happy, they'll refer you, but they have to think about how do I build the product for tomorrow and not just the first product it's it's innovative the later on stuff all the things you do are just incremental but you have to get to the next phase Mm -hmm. so that's the future so as every single product manager especially if a strategic minded product manager they take a portfolio approach not in the way that i have a five products and where to invest but the portfolio approach in how you decide where you are going to invest your time with the resources you have. An example is this. That's my finance background coming to play. You don't have to be, be a billionaire to have your retirement portfolio. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a retirement portfolio. You could have a lot of money. You could have a small amount of money. It doesn't mean you don't tend it. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you don't diversify. doesn't mean you don't put thoughts around where you're going to diversify. And that's the same concept of product manager. If you, let's using this example of, of PayPal, kind of continue that. Let's say you are a product manager, a product team that for various reasons got most of your resources taken away for this big bet. That's not yours, quote unquote. What are you going to do? You still have your customer to support. You still have your needs product adopt. This is where a great product manager coming to shine to say, okay, let's look at our existing product. What the minimum support I can get to get more value? What kind of additional resource I can get? to get more distribution, more adoption? Can I use ops resource? Can I use marketing resource? Can I use BD? Can I use channel? We have some of the areas in PayPal that have very minimum amount of investment because the resource quite often move to the big bets. So the product manager, some of the product, Kirsten was one of them, and I just get very impressed by her, is that she made her product so well with a very minimal resource because she always figured out Working with the ops, what we can say as see where people adopt the product, where are the pain points, and she would put her limited resource on what really drives the most value. And then she leveraged a lot of other non-tech, non-engineering resources to drive value and adoption. All right. So what, what you're trying to say is that to avoid peanut butter strategy, um, there's a, a number of things that we can do, but... It seems to me that at the end of the day, it boils down to PM's maturity, right? Because uh, every organization is going to have uh, different levels of seniority in their PMs. And um, the the challenge, uh, especially for uh, PMs with with less seniority um, and less maturity, is to have what we call this forest vision, not just the tree, but understanding it's a big forest with lots of trees. So how to go from the the tree to the forest 
and 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 how to help younger, less mature product managers to do this journey of understanding the forest and not worrying so much about the tree. Right. Um, I think a lot of them is around practice. <clears throat> so um, think, think about it uh, when you when you first run a bicycle or when you first drive a car, you have to pay attention to a lot of things you do right. because you want to make sure everything is done right. And I after still, a while, I still try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but after a while, it becomes second nature, right? You're not even right. realize you're doing it. You actually enjoy yeah, the scenery. Just, you think about where you're right. going, right? Yeah, you become one with the bike, right? Right, right. So, so I would I would using this similar. So when you start as a product manager, or you know, either you're, uh, you know, maybe you come in a different role, or you just come out of school, you try to do all the things right. There's this something we call it a product. You can call it a product craft, a product management craft. Those are the techniques of doing product management. And you know how to do user research, and you know how to talk to customers, and you know how to uh, working with engineering teams. What are the stories? How do I make a prioritization? This framework, that framework, and all that stuff. That every little bit of that is just a piece of the puzzle. Right, you you kind of gather these pieces and try to figure out where you put it, and then you're really very absorbed by that. And think that's okay because that's the first step you need to get to, and hopefully you get to that fairly quickly. There's a one part of product management I could not, I could not emphasize enough. So a lot of times the people never develop that. That product managers exist to create outcome. There's no any other reason the product manager exists. Or you're, you didn't exist to write PRDs. You didn't risk to, to write stories. And you didn't even exist to write like a mock-up, so wireframe. There's a designers, there's people code, marketer to market and sales to sell. So what do you do? Then what you do is to figure out how do you orchestrate everyone else to deliver the value to three entities, right? The value to your users, the, the value to your, to your, to your business. And there's the third entity is very funny. The third entity is to other product managers. People don't think about it because there's no product stand as its own. There's no product that's significant enough to work with the other product managers. So that would collectively make your product more successful. Think about it. If a PayPal is a PayPal doesn't have a risk, the button won't work because you just lose all the money, right? So, so your role is to make sure the collective product is successful and your customer is successful and your business is successful. So as you start to think about it, that the empathy is people will forget. People want to have a customer empathy. I want to know what customer needs, a customer wants. That's a, that's a sign of a really good PM. It's the first that you have to understand your customer, understand your customer empathy. But there are two parts of good PM uh, skills as a strategic PM skills. Is you can see that maybe at the director level, maybe at the VP level, and maybe at the chief product officer level, it's empathy for the business. Understand what business needs. Understand what other product teams needs, because that will be uh, the key to the success of the broader product. So let's using an uh, example like, you know, let's say you're a product manager and you know your your goal is to <clears throat> using a still using a PayPal example. You're a product manager for the checkout. You make sure you think about, okay, if I'm a merchant uh, who owns a website, put a button there, what would the merchant need? What the merchant want? What's the thing important to them? If I'm a user, I'm a buyer. How does it make my experience better? What's my concern? How do I... Like everything you do is empathy for that, right? The second empathy is the what I mean to the business where I think that part where PMs really need to learn to do that. Mm -hmm. And... So according to you, what are the main challenges linked to transitioning to a more outcome-focused organization, not just as an individual contributor, but as an organization? Lots of big companies, even incumbent uh, companies um, are, you know, are, are suffering from doing this transition from output to outcome-focused organizations. Any, any take on that? Right. So there are two, a couple of things coming into that. <clears throat> Number one is uh, how do you measure someone, right? So 
there's a thing that if you don't measure it, they won't do it, basically. And, and that's, it's just so true, right? So in the past, when you, if you don't have a quota for sales, then how do you define their, they've done a good job? Or if you don't have sort of the quota for marketing to drive leads, then it's all fuzzy stuff. So for a product, as an outcome-focused product organization, first, you would say, how do I measure the success of that team? And, uh, and that, you know, I want to use something called a, you know, in the, in the finance world or in the, in the portfolio world, something called a ROI, right? What is the return on investment? It's not just a metric. It's how much it takes to build the metric. So the first part you have to say, what, how are we going to measure the success of a product organization? That's leadership's job. If the leaders don't do that, we just say, well, ship how many products? Then, you know, obviously everyone become that because that's how success is measured. If a success is measured by metrics and outcomes, then everyone would say, okay, so we actually looking at did the metric move and how much resources I use. If you move very little of the, the metric and I use a lot of resource, that's not a good ROI. That's not a good performance. If you're, if you, if you're an investor, if I'm putting money with you and you invest for me, you get something return not as good as a benchmark. That's not a good performance, right? So it's the same thing, right? right? You are super. Exactly. The same thing. So first, it's to say, we need to align what is the outcome and the metrics that our team should be uh, working towards. And that needs to be multiple as well. And then the second part is, we need to make sure we have a strategy because that's something happened with the OKR. It's like people have all these OKRs and then they don't do the strategy. Then again, everyone's pedal all over the place, not going to the same place. It's a nightmare, dependencies and infights and others. So the strategy is translated into those big bets and the huge initiatives because it's not like everyone defined exactly every step of the way what you're going to do in this big bets. The big bets is just kind of give you say, here's how we're going to get there. You know, if we're going to drive, let's say, if we want to drive adoption, we're going to drive adoption on mobile. Let's say drive adoption on mobile and not increase the fraud rate. That is your bet, right? Adoption on mobile. <clears throat> so it tells you two things. Number one is adoption. Number two is mobile. Adoption is outcome. Mobile is means. That's the strategy. So setting up the right outcome, define a strategy. Everyone going to rally around it. And the third one is give them the resources. If you don't give them the resources, the other team can support. Not going to happen. Right. And you also usually talk about three levels of outcome-driven organizations, right? Could you tell us a little bit about um, them and how you connect them to align business and product goals and I, I guess also to maturity levels? Right. So I think there are a couple of things. Uh, so let's talk about outcome. There are three types of outcome, right? There's a user outcome. The user get what you get. So that's a good PM needs to do that. And then the other one is the uh, product outcome. Did the product achieve what it needs to do? Sometimes, yes, user did, but the product has different strategies. So if you say conversion on mobile, that's both the user outcome and the product outcome. And then you have the third one is sort of the business outcome. Did they drive the business results? And it's your assumption, correct? Did your metric, conversion metric, drive the business outcome? So these are three levels of outcome. Now, from a, from a product manager's perspective, there are actions associated with that. To get a user outcome, I need to build the features and ship it. And uh, so that your roadmaps and features are important. You have to have best skills. <clears throat> then you have to build uh, sort of the product outcome. So you think about your product roadmap. Did I do this at a huge expense of everyone else? Right. So that's your, you, can you have to deliver a roadmap. And ultimately, did it deliver the business outcome you intended across the board? So I would say three levels outcome from a from a type perspective and the three types of success for, for, for the product organization associated to each one of the levels. Uh, which one tends to be the most common one that you work with? I think it depends on... So, so, so there are two things. Um, if you think about a three-level outcome, it's also associated with the three levels of sort of the product manager, sort of career ladder, if you will, right? So the user outcome tend to be product manager, Right, the uh, the the product outcome tend to be like a directors or maybe VPs, depending on the size of the company, and the business outcome is definitely the executive, right? The VPs and this level, uh, um, but they are connected. If you don't connect your business outcome to the user outcome, it will never get there, and and vice versa. So as as a, as an executive, they have to share the strategic context. Of their team, they can drive up there. And for the team, if you don't know where you're going, <laughs> right, it's the trees and forests. You don't see beyond that. It's because 
the business outcome is in the other room. They have different conversations somewhere. It's just not in my world. So you need to bring them in. That's ultimately, I would say, why portfolio management, why Dragon Ball, why the tooling that we had to build at PayPal is to bring them on the same, we call it a single pane, right? You can see the outcome you all want to target at one place. So when you make a decision, that's pretty much the only thing product managers do, right? Is making decisions at all levels and about different things. When you make a decision, you have those factors and outcomes in front of you, regardless of the level. So you actually founded this company with Dragon Boat in 2018. And the idea, the original idea is to help fast-growing companies become more outcome-focused product organizations. It's a huge challenge. So how do you apply all the knowledge you learned through your past experiences at Dragon Boat with your clients? So there, there are a couple of things I would highlight. Um, I was at PayPal for nine years. Um, and I would say there are three legs in my PayPal career. The first leg was international expansion, really just building PayPal and, and running like sort of the very common product ops role that you hear today. And the second leg was around the portfolio management and uh, building up to that. And the third leg was actually doing uh, quite a bit of product work, like actual product management things, uh, including integrating product into like acquisition, merger, and others. And uh, when I left PayPal, after I tried pretty much everything you could think about <laughs> in the product world, I went to a couple of other companies. I realized a few things. Number one, wow, PayPal is one of the best operating company in the world. Strategic, op- exceptionally operationally strong. Because the payment is a heck hard, high margin, uh, low margin, high complexity, lots of competition, lots of regulation, very hard to do. And the PayPal did do well because the PayPal has the exceptional operating rigor across all sides of business. The product is one of them, but all sides of business. And, and then two is I also realized, geez, there's nothing to support any company to even do best practice. And I realized it's because the best practice, it wasn't known. Yes, you can read on internet, you can Google anything, but when to apply what? There's actually a framework has intertwined things along it from product management to portfolio management to delivery to outcome management. So all that stuff. And I was taking that from company to company, getting bigger and smaller, different sizes. I realized that framework can be built and scaled and adjusted to almost all companies of all sizes. From some of the transformation companies I did when I was doing consulting for a little bit, uh, you know, help them to do innovation and, and digital product management to just a traditional kind of software company growing and scaling to startup scaling to companies doing both the software and the manufacturing. And it was a very, very interesting and a co- complex. So Shutterfly is a company that does you can personalize design stuff and then they manufacture it. And they have a hard deadline for Christmas. Like you can't miss your Christmas. You can't miss your birthday, right? So those very different environments, one is to give, uh, give me an opportunity to test out the framework. Does it work? Does it support different environments? And that would really ultimately brought into Dragon Ball. So you can support agile business agility. You can support product management. You can support the outcome and in all in one place. Uh, that's really what uh, ultimately kind of Dragon Ball was formed and, and working with now uh, four or 5,000 teams globally. Um, you know, every day there are both surprises and not surprises because you say, oh, actually, I'll fit into the framework. And once uh, people start to get it, it's like if you take a first principle approach, you realize nothing special about it. The nuance is what enables you, but it's there. And, and we see our customers that going from project to product transformation. We see customers going through digital transformation. And just a quick side note, digital transformation is a product transformation. It's project to product, right? What digital is not a product, right? So... All companies are startups, they're scaling, they acquire companies and they merge different teams. They all have different ways of working or they have a hardware company and software combined manufacturing is a part of it. All these companies, what we found out is that, hey, 
there's a, a way to do it. We call it responsive product portfolio management that can connect all levels of your organization, connect all different functions, the stake, stakeholders, the marketing and, 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 and the sales, as well as your product engineering design team and, and your, your peers. So that is where, you know, really, really exciting to see because there is a way to run outcome-focused product organization. And regardless of the size, the industry, and others, and we can work together to make it work. The pandemic years, um, you also face some challenges, but of course, those challenges, especially in the IT industry, were also a huge opportunity. So um, how has the company um, been through those challenges and what have you learned out of those that have allowed the company to keep growing? I would say, um, you know, as every startup, right, you start with a, a big vision and a lot of hypothesis. Then you are off to the races <laughs> and you have to figure out you, the biggest part, I think, is, uh, for Dragonbow, uh, not just the product management. Obviously, I'm a, a lot more familiar with the product management. And luckily, product management has a lot of Kind of natural extension to other areas, but there are other areas that are just the important part of it, right? So, right. But you are product, you are more you are more of a CEO now than a practitioner, right? right? You exactly. are you are wearing a different hat, I guess. Right. Exactly. So knowing the gaps, knowing the other areas, and filling the gaps. So the product is not a product on itself. So how do we think? How do we build a team? How do we break things down? How do we manage funding? How do we manage budget? How do we manage the other side of things, the people, the, you know, get people ramp up. So all these parts are a very different challenge, I would say. Um, and in some ways, I was on the front row CC company scaling. And that was, was helpful to at least knowing the challenge going into it, but knowing it's different from doing. So uh, I will give you a couple of examples. Um, so first part of it is it's hiring the people in an area that, I, that I'm not very familiar with. So... Hiring marketing, I mean, I work with a marketer, but hiring marketer, it's a very different story. Hiring sales, it's a very different story. So just understanding uh, what, uh, what, how do we bring the right people on the boat and how get them rowing the same direction uh, across different functions beyond just the product engineering design is definitely something, a big learning uh, for me. I think the second part of that, if I were to say, is working with external stakeholders much closely. When I say external stakeholders, obviously we have a community, we have customer, we also have investors, we have advisors, we have a board. So all that is a very different things to learn. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to participate in some of those previously, but not, not on the driver's seat. Now I'm on the driver's seat, so really trying to figure out how to also work with them, with the different stakeholders. Um, the bright part of that is, I would say, product management is not just product management managing a product. If you take the first principle to think about it, really is to say, what is the outcome you want to get? How do you get there? What are the challenges? Who are the people and the resources you have? Where are the gaps are? And if you take that approach, you really help to kind of move the boat forward better with the new challenges in the role as a CEO. Uh, versus being more so a, a product uh, and an and operation type of um, role. All right. So with that, maybe we can talk a little bit about the future. And um, not, also, not only how do you see the future of Dragon Boat, but how do you see the future of the company in the context, in the larger context on the future predictions for product management? The, the space has been... I would say quite active for the last 25 years or so, at least since, you know, web companies started to, um, um, you know, make the role more significant in the tech space. So there's this also this narrative now that advocates that we will see the shift from product versus business to product is business so that product management will eventually converge to a business role. What tendencies do you think will be confirmed in, in product management for the next, you know, two, three, four years? Right. Foreseeable so, future. Right. So a couple of things. I think um, product is 
always the business. It's how much of a business. In the past, the product supports the business because there's consideration of a product and then you have sort of the business team. And today it's kind of flipped, right? So from a from a product supports business to product drive business. Because the customers become a much, much more self-sufficient and a digital company sells digital product. There's nothing else to sell. So uh, the product management uh, uh, profession is way more um, uh, well understood than it used to be. If you think about it, that in the last, I want to say in the last, so think about it, the last 30 years uh, industry going through agile transformation. It's funny, people still talk about agile transformation. That, that ship sailed for 30 years, right? So it's <laughs> nothing new, but still people talk about it. Uh, yeah. And the product product management is a business. It's also, it's never new, right? Even when I was at PayPal, that was product is business because you drive L1, level one metrics that directly connect to, 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 to money, right? Um, to conversion, directly convert to money. There's nothing in between. That's the level one metrics. So I would say, and then that is still just coming out to the rest of the world. It's, it's, it's been going on for a very long time. So what I'm trying to highlight is that, first of all, uh, it's great that product, the world finally understand. And, and it will be because, you know, software, it's not software, it's eating work, right? Software has eaten the work. So everyone is software. So product management is business. It's a, it's, it's a part of business, same as a, as, a, as a marketing, same as a sales. It's just a part of the whole business uh, structure. And as we, with every single business, you need, a, you need to make decisions. You need to have data. You need to work together. Can you imagine sales team don't have a sales force or some sort of CRM tool? Can you imagine like your HR team don't have a tool to manage your... How can you have no product portfolio tool? Every product organization runs a portfolio. What are you going to use to run it? Spreadsheet, PowerPoints, or some sort of uh, point solutions? How can you make decisions? As a product manager, you don't make a decision just on your own thing. You make decisions across so many different areas with others and with executives, with your teams, with customer feedbacks and all that. So you need a platform to make decisions, to set, to set your goals, where you are towards it, and see where your resource allocation, all that stuff tied to it, and then make adjustments, understanding your delivery progress affecting your outcome, your, your market affecting your outcome. Your marketing affects your outcome. Your sales, all of them affect your product and the business outcome. So to, to us, we are incredibly excited to see finally everyone's waking up to say product is a business driver. Product is business. That is the biggest, that most important thing, right? So you're not, no longer in the corner of you know, R&D or business analysts or taking orders or follow-up forms, not that. That's the big biggest thing. With that kind of, uh, demand, there is the need. The foundational need is for product managers, a product organization. You need a platform to run your entire product organization, not just you know for PMs sitting in the corner do their own stuff. No, you need to have a platform to drive decisions, to make decisions, to have a source of truth. Everyone goes in, just like a Salesforce, just like a Workday, just like you know, um, you know, HubSpot. Those those tools. Because how can how can you run a significant business without a system yes and um with with that strong message that product management is business um what advice would you give to people starting a career in product management nowadays um there are i would give uh maybe three different uh thoughts where you are in your product management journey there are people coming to product management, coming from different roles, right? Coming out of school or you're like engineers, you're a designer or something. Going to product management, you're going to learn the product management craft. Important because you, you have to buy bicycle, right? Then how do you go fast? How do you go be part of a team? It's to understand. You have to have the empathy for your customer. You have the empathy of your business. What is your business need? If you don't understand business, you can't, you can't move forward. You can't make the impact you want to need, right? You have to have empathy for the other product managers because they are part of you, right? You're, whatever you have is just a part of the bigger picture. And if you support other PMs, they support you. You guys have a holistic product. You don't have a product that shows, oh, this team did this, this team did this, because the, even the look and feel, all the navigation is different. That's not a good product. You, your customers don't like it. It will not drive the business outcome you need. So for people start out with a PM, 
my advice would be learn your PM skills, learn your PM craft, learn your PM uh, techniques. But you have to start learning about the business. Start to have the empathy more than just to the customer, to the business and other PM. That's the first part. The second part I want to say, do not think of portfolio management is for like old company, big company or whatever. It is a mindset a skill, just like a product techniques. We call it a strategic product management. You have to learn it. If you don't, uh, I think you should pick up because you will never just have one goal. You'll never just have one customer segment. You will never just have one uh, ideas and one outcomes. So how are you going to manage it? Um, and portfolio management is incredibly important for you to grow as a product manager, no matter you just started or you are running a product organization. And, and then that's, that's the second part I would say. The third part I would say is the product managers sometimes forget. They don't think it deliver is important. They don't think about resources is important. You cannot have a vision. You cannot deliver anything. You cannot drive the outcome you need to get if you cannot deliver your roadmap. If you don't have the resources you need, or if you have a limited resource, how do you juggle between that? So learn how to understand resource planning and deliver your roadmaps. If you don't deliver anything, there's no outcome, right? <laughs> so people would say, oh, feature factory. And, you know, look, you have to ship the feature before you can drive outcome. Sure, you build the wrong things, not good. If you right. just have the right thing on paper, it doesn't mean anything either. So you're going to have to realize you need both. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, outcome. Uh, implies at least some some kind of output. Uh, the out, you know, the the opposite is not necessarily true. All right, so <laughs> thank you so much for this conversation, Becky. It was super uh, interesting, and uh, we kind of covered lots of topics that are not definitely for the faint of heart when it comes to product because they force conversations that sometimes people don't want to have. Um, but they do and they should. And we do have a bunch of recommended resources and books that you also sent us and we will be including those in the notes of the podcast. It has been a true pleasure to spend the last 15 minutes having this um, conversation. And thank you so much for being on the Productized Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I have a lot of fun. <laughs>